Uh, good evening to all of you. So my name's Andrew and uh, it's great, great to have you here tonight. Um, shout out to all those who are listening online or via podcast as well, wherever you might be. Um, yeah, so welcome to you as well. Um, we were just talking about, for those who are listening online, we are just talking about, you know, things that we're, that we're thankful for. And, you know, there was so much listed there. And I know I'm sure everyone's got something that we're thankful for. And it just made me think, you know, tonight, tonight is the last Sunday in November. You know, we're into December so soon. Then we're into Christmas. And then, that's it, we're into 2017, New Year. So even though we've still got a month to go... It's been a big year, and I think just in just here, you know, how many events and the growth that's been in this place and the celebrations and the achievements, we've got so much to be thankful for. And as well as that, you know, we've all had some challenges, we've had some trials and some difficulties, and it's my hope and my prayer tonight that, that God's Word will speak to you and provide you with peace, comfort, understanding, and above all, hope. And tonight I'll be speaking from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through to 15. The verses, uh, they're on the Version Bible app, if you've got that, um, under events. Um, They'll also be up on the screens. Um, Now, I'm going to be jumping backwards and forwards quite a fair bit tonight through the text. And the reason why, part of the reason why is that the writer actually commences the chapter with the solution. But I'm going to unpack the topic first and then conclude with the solution. Sound good? That's good. There's only five of you I think who agree with that, but tough. If you don't agree, you haven't got it, that's, that's where we're going. But first of all, context. So Hebrews chapter 12. It's a, it's, so in order to better understand God's Word, yeah, understanding its context is so important. It is so important, such as, you know, when it was written, who it was written to, um, and what about, especially if you have got it open, you'll note in verse 1, the first word of chapter 12, the NIV version, is therefore. The writer is making a point from the previous chapters. It also mentions here you know, a, cl- a cloud of great witnesses. So basically the chapter before, or the chapters before, this letter was written to a community of Jewish Christians believed to be living around Rome and they were going through a real rough time. They were being persecuted, having possessions stolen and worse um, because of their faith. And this whole letter that's written is imploring the Hebrews that despite the hardships that they are going through and they're facing to not fall back into their old ways, to not go back to old ways of thinking and doing things, falling back to the old law and back into sin and not letting go of the hope and salvation they've received. Indeed, that first, those first ten chapters of the book demonstrates the way that Jesus is truly the way and the truth and the life. A way that not only complies with the, the old law for those, for those Hebrews there, but it not only complies with that, but it fulfills it, goes further. So that's a really brief overview of those chapters beforehand. But I'm not going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start at verse 4. Perhaps it's because we're in this series called 4, and it's the fourth one of these series, and I'm going to start at verse 4. So we're going to go from there. So verse 4 reads like this, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. 
God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Now, let's just stop there for a minute. Endure hardship as discipline. That sounds a bit rough, doesn't it? It's a bit extreme. There are three words there, three key words, which I'm going to unpack so we can just understand them a little bit better. So let's start with the word discipline. It's mentioned many times in this chapter, so it'll be really important. It's really important to understand exactly what this word means. The word discipline, it's often associated with an act of punishment, often has a negative connotation to it, especially to those who might be on the receiving end of it. But the word means so much more than that. It means so much more than punishment because punishment by itself, it has no value. There's always a reason for it. When a child is disciplined, you know, the parent doesn't sneak up behind them and then discipline and not give a reason for it. There's always reason behind it. Another similar word mentioned here is in verse 6, which is chastise. Now, chastising is similar to discipline, but it has a physical element to it. It may include rebuking. Similar words here, but the primary and key part of the word discipline is the act and process of training and correcting. And I'll touch more on the training bit in a few minutes. Our God is a God of love. Therefore, to try and understand his divine discipline and what is being mentioned here, we need to view the word through the eyes of love. As it says there in verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. When you hear the word discipline from this point, mentioned in this chapter, think of correcting Think of training and think of correcting in the first instance, not punishment. So that's discipline, hardship. This could be a sermon topic in and of itself. Probably a full series, actually. Now, the context of hardship here is that the writer is writing to the Hebrews. He's writing to the Hebrews because of their struggles, their trials, their persecution and what they're going through. The hardship the Hebrews were going through, as we mentioned before, was because they were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And this persecution was beginning to place seeds of doubt in their minds and they were beginning to slip back. If you really wanted to know what the writer thinks of them slipping back, it's in chapter 5. For time's sake, I won't go to chapter 5, but there's more info there. But in terms of unpacking chapter 12, let me get this straight. This verse... It's not saying that every hardship that comes your way is the result of God disciplining you and that you must endure it because you are being disciplined for your sins. That's not what it's saying. That's why it says in verse 4 that their struggle against sin, they have not yet shed their blood. Their trials and hardship was trivial compared with Jesus. It was trivial because Jesus went through so much more and shed his blood for us, for us all. Now, that's not discouragement pointing out this difference. It is encouragement because Jesus is the difference. The punishment and cost of sin, it's been dealt with in full through God's son, Jesus, for those who consider him as their saviour. Right, I'll go back. I'll go back to to Hebrews now. I'm excited about Jesus. He's awesome. So how does this apply to us now, today? How does this hardship, in this context, how does this, what does this mean to us today? Because hardships through trials and difficulties and they come about in so many different ways and I know I'll be honest I've been grappling and wrestling with this topic for a while and I certainly don't have the answers I do know that we live in a fragile and uncertain world 
And that's what Door of Hope, in terms of why it's here, to be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world. So if it's through Jesus Christ, let's consider Jesus then. What does Jesus say about hardship? He's certainly qualified providing answers on this, given what he's been through on the cross. You read through Jesus' ministry, you know that he's very compassionate and sensitive to people suffering. Now, the examples that stuck out to me uh, were in John chapter 9 and Luke 13. Now, the people here who were suffering or had died because of political oppression, a construction accident, and a man who was blind from birth. So, three pretty different examples there. And the people and the disciples who were around him at the time asked, you know, about all these hardships and whether it was because these people had sinned. Because hardship back then was widely believed to be a clear sign of God's punishment. Now, the first two examples, Jesus, he effectively said, do you think these people were worse sinners than other people because they suffered this way? No. But unless you repent, unless you turn and change your ways, he said, you too will all perish. In Luke 13, Jesus goes further. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. With these three examples, Jesus doesn't answer questions by addressing the cause of hardship. He answers by directing our hearts and eyes and minds forward. He answers us, he answers those from a heavenly perspective. So although you may not have a choice in what hardships come your way, you do have a choice in how you respond to them, as hard as that may be. In all, in all hardships and trials and difficulties, God can use that situation for his glory. I'll get more onto that in a moment. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, well known for, for his writings and thoughts on Christ, said this quote, and I think this is the best way that sums up this hardship thing. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. So, discipline, about God's training, hardship, not looking at the cause, let's look forward and endure. This one's a little bit more straightforward, endure. To endure, that's the act of endurance, in it for the long haul, but a hard yakka. Ability to withstand and hold strong. Who would like to have some increased endurance in their life? I'll tell you, I would. I definitely would. So how do we go about increasing endurance? We need the right sort of training. Before I get to the training bit, there were some very important verses in Hebrews 12 to take note of. In addition to the training, we are advised of three reactions that we would be best to avoid. And they are listed in verse 5. And verse 15. Now, I'm not just going to say, don't do this, don't do that. I'm going to counter those with the actions that we should aim for. So the first one, which we see in verse 5, it says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. What's that mean? So when you make light of something, you're treating it as something that's insignificant. Um, you're dismissing it. You're treating it as if it's unimportant or even humorous. Why is that a danger? As we journey through life, growing stronger and deeper in our relationship with God. We need to be aware and open to his whispers and promptings communicating with us through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the key ways God communicates with us. The danger is that if we ignore those whispers and promptings, 
and we ignore that presence of God in our lives, we begin to drift away. Let us not become self-centred. Let us become increasingly Jesus-centred. So that's one. Number two is down in verse 15. As I said before, I'm going to jump around a bit, so bear with me. Verse 15 is talking about the root of bitterness. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile you. The best example I can think of that is from the root, and obviously the, the writer makes clear note of this. When you have a tree, whether it be a big tree, and... It's very easy to chop that tree down, you know, get a chainsaw or whatever, whoop, off come the limbs and leaves, branches, trunk, right down the stump, tree, gone. Or is it? The roots are still there. And I remember when, um, from when I was a little, a little boy, we had a, uh, a house, a holiday house we used to go to, and there was a big tree in that backyard which was right between the house and the garage, stupid spot for a tree especially as this tree was starting to lean over the house. And it's, uh, this tree's got to come down. The roots were also getting up under the, the slab of the, of the garage and under the foundations of the house. So this thing had to go. Chop the tree down, no problems. A few months later, little leaves began to sprout out from around the trunk. This tree was still alive. So we had to get a big machine in and dig this stump out to cut it off from the roots. Things that are hidden deeply... Don't come out easily. Now, I think the key thing from that is in this verse, it says that see to it that no one, note that, no one. Not not see to it that you, see to it that no one. So if you are struggling with bitterness, I would would encourage you to speak with someone that you trust about it so that they can help you get through this. That's why the writer is encouraging these Hebrews here, not just to, fo- not just to focus on self here, you know, but to, to be others-focused. To be others-focused. So that's those ones we've got there. Root of bitterness, making light of it. So we've got to be Jesus-centred, others-focused. The third one there is discouragement, which says, do not lose heart when he rebukes you. you know, fainting under that trial and that difficulty that we're going through, giving up, giving in. It's, from my experience, it's asking the why questions. God, why am I going through this? Why now? Why are you doing this to me? Or am I the only one who's sort of asked those type of questions, which don't normally get answered? Leads to, you know, potentially being depressed and fearful. Now, the encouragement that I can take from this is that in all storms that I've been through, all have an end. Storms never last. Some may be longer than others, but they all have an end. Storms never last. So let us not be discouraged. Let us encourage and lift one another up together in community. Jesus centred others focused together in community. You may be here visiting with us tonight and again, welcome. Perhaps you're a bit new to this and exploring what Christianity is and who and what Jesus is to you and what he might mean to you. God's word is powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and his word is written for us. That's all of us, not just people in church, all, everybody. And these three dangers, these three things here, I think they apply to everyone. 
they apply to everyone. So next time you're going through a situation, will you make light of it? Will you make light of that situation, try and shake it off as being unimportant? Will you become discouraged and crumble under the weight? Will you let a stubborn root of bitterness grow within? Or, as what's been discussed here, will you endure the hardship as discipline? Will you endure it as God training you? Not being defined by the hardship, but by, by being refined through the process. So why train? Why, why submit to God's discipline? Why go through this training? Heading up now to verse 8. In verse 8, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Hang on. Note at the end of verse 9 there, there's an exclamation mark. So I'll do that again. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? How much... Look compare it with our parents absolutely full respect for parents out there but when god is for us he's not against us and he is with us how much more absolutely and he considers us as sons and daughters we are children of god how's that make you feel even though you're going through tough times potentially that god considers you his child that's so good that is so good Verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while, they being our parents, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That's, that's, that shivers down the back of the spine type of good. We get to share in God's holiness. And it's not up on the screen, but further down in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness no one will see the Lord. So this is something that God is going to make sure is going to happen. This is necessary that we become holy. Now that is encouraging. Back to verse 11. I'm getting there. This is good. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Absolutely. I think we can all agree with that. No discipline seems pleasant, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Produces a harvest. What's harvested? Peace. Peace is awesome. I could deal with that. Awesome peace. And righteousness, which is a right standing with God. And a lifestyle and an attitude that seeks to be aligned with God's will and purpose. It's been made more and more like Jesus. Remember those lyrics we were talking about earlier. All I want is to be like you. But only for those who have been trained by it. Trained by God's discipline. You only collect the harvest by going through the training. So, after a splash of water, let's get into the training. What is this training about? It's in verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Strengthening arms and knees. It sounds like a lot being like in a gym, doesn't it? Just go next door for that. 
especially if you read that in regard to the first verse as well, because it encourages us to throw off everything that hinders. Well, of course, if you're doing a physical workout, you can't do that well if you're in heavy and restrictive clothing. Now, physical and exercise, physical exercise and training, I think that's something that we can all relate to in some way. We know the benefits and how beneficial it is. We know how hard it can be. But the exercises and training described here, it's not physical training, but spiritual training. You'll note in verse 13, if you've got your word open there, it should be on the screen too, verse 13 is in quotations. The writer here is referencing Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 26 and that whole chapter of Proverbs implores the reader to get wisdom at any cost. Wisdom at any cost. Strengthen yourself through the power of God's word. That's daily hope, 20 minutes in the chair. There's your training, 20 minutes in the chair, which is basically being disciplined, go and find somewhere, get into God's word, read through it, pray about it, write about it, let it go through your head and dwell on it. Now, that's not the only verse that references back, actually, because in, the, in through my reading through this verse and, and different versions, the Amplified Version, in the first part of the 12th verse, goes back to Isaiah. And this is interesting, isn't it? Going through Isaiah chapter 35, it mentions there about strengthening the feeble arms and weak knees, as noted. Now, let me just read these two starting from Isaiah and then going back to Proverbs, reading bits of those. Strengthen your feeble arms, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. You discouraged tonight, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. You're dealing with bitterness tonight. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Listen, my, my children, to a father's instruction. Pay attention, gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Make level paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. 20 minutes in the chair. Ben, you can come back up if you like. That would be awesome. So we've gone through all of that. Let's go back up to the top of Hebrews 12. I'll need that water because I'm going to be talking a bit now. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Don't be discouraged. It easily entangles. Let's throw that off. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. I love this verse. Consider him. Think about him. Pray to him. Consider him. Consider him our teacher. That his word is a lamp to our path. Consider him our trainer. 
you know, sometimes in sports training, it, it doesn't matter how much time, energy and resources you might put into someone, you just know they just don't have what it takes in that chosen sport. But our God is steadfast. He is determined and committed to bring you into conformity with the image of His Son, no matter what it takes. No matter what it takes. With the Heavenly Father as our trainer, by trusting and following His instructions, you cannot fail. Consider Him our Father, that He is for us and not against us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. His sacrifice, His Son Jesus, was for everyone, for all. We are coming into Christmas pray that you'll consider him, what he has done for us, as you invite friends, family, work colleagues, neighbours to church this Christmas. Consider him our pioneer, our pioneer that he's gone before us, that Jesus' sacrifice, his death and resurrection has opened the way for us to come into the presence of God. Stand firm in knowing that he has a plan and a purpose for every single one of you that has been worked out in conformity with his will. The journey may be hard, but with your hope and faith in Christ, your destination is secure. Consider him our redeemer, not content with just dealing with sin. Jesus now sits at the right hand of God and is constantly interceding for us. He is cheering and urging us on towards the eternal prize. Consider him our hope this certain unshakable hope we have in Christ Jesus that the same power that conquered the grave dwells in us through receiving His Holy Spirit. Consider Him our Saviour. Consider Him worthy of our praise. Is that all you got? Consider Him. Consider Him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Jesus said that you will have troubles in this world, but take heart, for I have overcome the world.